0: All right. Well thank you, Queen Frostine. As um as the good Queen just mentioned, um, it is a little bit warm in here. And uh I apologize for that. The reasoning is that something's wrong with our air conditioning. So um so they are trying to fix it, but it will not be fixed by the time we are done here. I can assure you of that. And um So I was thinking this morning, uh, as it was warm, I said, oh, I'll just take my coat off. And then I remembered that this morning I had forgotten uh, I couldn't find my belt. And so then I thought, well, if I take my coat off now, then everyone will know that I don't have a belt on. So I'm not going to take it off. So everyone thinks that I have a belt on, right? Right. Good. People were worried, I think, at the first, uh, at the 9 o'clock, that my pants were going to fall off, Um, and so I ate a couple extra donuts in between, and so we should be good. So no worries whatsoever. So fan yourself if need be. We're going to try to keep the doors open a little bit uh, if it doesn't get too noisy so that some of the cooler air in the gathering space can enter in. Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Thanks to Scott and to John for kind of uh, preaching over the last, um, not kind of, but preaching. Sorry, keep preaching over the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, um, uh, <laughs> sorry. And um, and we are, and I am here to kind of maybe sort of preach today. So uh, we are looking at Galatians chapter four, uh, verses eight through twenty. So I invite you to hear these words from Paul. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? And how can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid that my work for you may have been wasted." Friends, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. You know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I announced the gospel to you. Though my condition put you to the test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And what has become of the goodwill you felt? For I testify that, had it been possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you make much of them. It is good to be made much of for a good purpose at all times, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you on this warm morning. After a stormy night and a rainy week, we are reminded that in you we find our true shelter. So we pray, God, that you would be with us this morning, that you would open up our eyes and our ears to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So one of the joys of parenting is that your children love to take the things that you have said and then to use it against you at some point. And from what I've heard, this will only grow and crescendo uh, once they hit the high school and college years. But, but even now, for our oldest, uh, uh, Shaughnessy, who is just six, we're already beginning to experience uh, some of that. Several uh, months ago now, she began to say the word uh, stupid, and um, stupid this and stupid that, and and sometimes even referring to her sisters. And so clearly she had learned this uh, from one of her unchurched uh, friends. And so... um so we said to her finally, we said, look, you know, sweetheart, you can't, you can't keep saying that. You can't say stupid. This is not right. This is not appropriate. So you need to stop. And so she, uh, she seemed to get it, right, which was good. And so, uh, uh, but then, and maybe you can uh, relate to this, something would happen, right? That perhaps the remote control wouldn't work or something, right? And so Megan or I would be sitting there, we'd be trying to, you know, what's wrong with this thing? And, and we'd be getting more and more frustrated until eventually, of course, we would say something like, Stupid remote control. And my eldest, who has a flair for the dramatic, would let out this, oh, and there would be no oxygen in the room at all. And she would look at us in these kind of horrified eyes and say, you said stupid. Which, of course, we had. And so we would, you know, we would try to say, well, you got to realize, Shauna, see that uh, this is an inanimate object. It's really, it's, it's probably okay. But, 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 but then we realize, well, that's probably not really good either because she's not able to differentiate. And so finally, right, we would just have to apologize and and say, okay, we'll try not to, right? And so, but it's very, um, it's exhausting, right, to to make sure that you don't say things that you tell your children not to say, right? So I was thinking about that this week. Uh, Because of the fact um, that I have a feeling when Paul is thinking about the Galatians that there are times what he really wants to say is that you all seem to me to be fairly, I'm not going to say it, yes, (laughs) stupid is right. Because again and again, if you have gone over this, if you've been here with us over the last several weeks, you will realize that that, it, that that this passage it just keeps talking about in many ways the same thing, right? Scott and John and I were talking about that a little bit earlier this week um, about, about the fact that you know it's like well how can we talk about grace this Sunday because Galatians just again and again in various and as sundry ways is trying to talk about. Grace, and it just seems like, at least in Paul's head, that, that the Galatians are probably not going to get it. That they that they're probably not going to catch on. That they may not be all that bright. And so he he goes again, and again, and even in this in this um, Sunday, you hear it. How can you turn back again? He says to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits. And then how can you want to be enslaved to them again? I'm afraid, Paul says, that my work for you may have been wasted. Stupid that's in there just read it carefully <laughs> and it's easy for us to look at the Galatians and to think to ourselves they don't seem like they are that bright I, I mean it seems like right if you were to ask us how do you want to live your life we would all say do you want to live your life you know through grace or through works or something else that we would all say of course grace right right And my guess is as well for the Galatians that they would probably, though, say the same thing. And so the real struggle is not with whether or not we want to live our lives with grace. The real struggle is, is why don't we? Why is it that we are always struggling with believing in the grace of God? Well, there are probably several reasons. And yet one of them, it seems to me, we see in the ninth Verse, You may have heard it. There's a, a bit of a correction that Paul makes as he's writing this particular part of the letter. Because he says to them, uh, you have come to know God, and then he corrects himself. And he says, well, wait, rather to be known by God. In other words, the subtle difference there, we tend to focus on how much do we know God. That tends to be usually when we, how we start things. But Paul is saying that with grace, it's important to realize that where it all begins is not with how much do we know God, but with the reality that God knows us and has done whatever he needs to do in order to get to know us. And that is important. You see, all of us have a desire, an innate desire, it seems to me, to be known. And a part of that is because if we are known, it means that we matter. It means that we are significant. It means that we are important. Which is great if you can rely on the grace of God, because then that means that we are important, we matter, we are significant, we are known, not because of who we are, but because of who we are. God is. And yet we struggle with that. For the Galatians, they struggled by, they thought, well, if we can do circumcision, if we can follow a particular calendar, if we can perhaps worship some of these elemental spirits, fire or sun or water, whatever it is, then maybe, then maybe we'll be known by God or by others. Then we'll know that we are important. Then we'll know that we matter. Because it is hard for us, if we are honest, to simply trust and believe that we matter and are important and are known because of who God is. And so we do lots of things to try in some ways to substitute for the grace of God. And in so doing, those things inevitably end up enslaving us. So let's think about what one of those things might be. One of those things for us, it seems to me, is something that Scripture talks about all the time. And the reason why Scripture talks about it all the time is because it knows how easy it is for us to substitute this thing for the grace of God, and that is money. Money is, you know, oftentimes we just think about greed and that this is the reason why, you know, God talks about money. We don't want to be greedy. But really at the root of it, in many ways, is how easily money can help to shape us and bring us our sense of significance, our sense that we are important, and our sense that we matter, our sense that hopefully we will be known. I feel like I kind of experienced a little bit of this several months ago. I um, got an opportunity to go to a basketball game, the Pacers. And so uh, I met with a few friends. We met uh, downtown just a few miles away, not far at all from, uh, from where the uh, stadium was. And um, so it was great. I don't want to go into all the details, but the point is, that we ended up driving there in a Rolls Royce, right? It was, it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, so we are driving in this Rolls Royce, right? and I get into the Rolls Royce, and I think, well, this is, you know, this is pretty cool, right? I mean, it's nice seats. I mean, this is a nice car. And so, so we start driving, and I think, you know what? I wonder, I, I, think, I think people will notice us. Oh, I mean, I, this may surprise you. But I don't get quite as much attention when I am in my 2003 Volkswagen Jetta <laughs> as I did in this Rolls Royce. I mean, people were just staring. We went along the street, right, and I was watching and I was seeing and people were like looking at us, right. And then we got into the parking garage, right, and we're driving around the little parking garage. And I mean, the attendants are like, Woo, look at that thing, right. And I mean, it was Awesome, right? There was just this kind of, there was this rush. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was it was pretty remarkable. How many people were saying things? And and but what is really significant about it? It seems to me is that I knew as we sat there that this was more than just about the metal and the glass and the rubber tires. I knew that what people were also wondering because I could see because they weren't just looking at the outside. What else did they want to know? Gee, you guys know, right? You saw me, right? Who is in there, right? And why are they significant? And why are they so important that they get to be in that vehicle? Why do they matter? And I want to know who it is. And that was on a five-minute drive. And I was overwhelmed by how cool it all was right, which is why God would never allow me to have a Rolls Royce, <laughs> right? Now, I think I can handle a BMW or an Audi. I've talked to him about that. I think I'm okay with that. But the reality is, right, as I caught it in just that glimpse, that if I did own that, and that, that was my life, and I was living in that way, right, and if I was always thinking about that, that it would begin to consume me. That's just me, and not everyone is like me. But I realized that, right? This isn't necessary. This isn't about having money. It's the question that everyone here who has money, what you have to do is you have to constantly be asking yourself this is vital. I want you to know this. What is it that is giving me a sense of importance? What is it that is giving me a sense of significance? And is it this or is it the grace of Jesus? Am I finding my significance and that I matter, not in what I have or how others are looking at me because of what I have, but in God and God alone? And that's a vital question for people like us to ask. It's not just money, of course. It's something else that I've talked about a fair amount already and probably will continue to talk about. I feel like I can. I've got got some credibility here, which is that children... Right? Children can easily become a substitute for our significance in God. Children in our area can easily become what makes us important, what makes us matter, what makes us feel significant, and even how we are known. Right? If you don't believe me, go to, go to Lions Park or Carmel Park District, wherever it is, go to a sporting event where you see kids playing and watch the parents. Watch how into the game and overly into the game these parents can be. And it doesn't take long to realize that this is not just about that little 10-year-old boy and him hitting a pitch or being called out. This is about the parent and the significance that they are feeling about what's going on there. Or the pressure, right, that, that, that we feel in terms of making sure that everyone, or that we're putting on kids in terms of the grades that they're getting, right? I mean, I get this. Again, my daughter just got through with kindergarten, but already, right, we're about to go on a little trip. And I said to her, You got your math class cards in that van? Because we're going to be going over those things on this trip, All right? But there's a sense right already that I'm like that I'm like feeling like however she does that's how I'm doing and it's a direct reflection. Now that's not to say that children should be unimportant by no means. Children are incredibly important. However, if they are how we are getting our significance and that we matter and that we are important then they will end up enslaving us. And we will end up trying to control them. Rather than simply celebrating them, loving them as the children that they are. Perhaps, though, the most subtle and dangerous way that we try to be known by God or to feel like we are known or to have significance or to matter is by the work that we do for God. In other words, the work of the church. Now, this is dangerous because this is really important For us. But the reality is, is that oftentimes much of the work is done by those people who feel like in some way their hope is if we do enough, if we're on enough committees, if we do enough leadership, that perhaps we will be noticed by God. That we will be known by God, that it will give us some sense of significance, that God will recognize us and say, oh, I see, I see what you're doing. Probably most pastors, including myself, got into the pastorate with some small hope of that. Perhaps if I do this, if I I preach just perfectly, right, then not only will I get significance from the folks here, but God will notice me as well. Now, again, the desire is not for me to get you all to get off committees or to stop leading. We need you to do that, right? I only heard a couple rights. We need you to do that. Thank you. But is again to say, just like with money, just like with children, is this where I am finding my significance? Is this, where, is this where I believe? Why am I doing what I am doing? Why do I have what I have? Why am I rearing my children the way I am rearing our children? Whatever it might be, to constantly be reflecting, is my significance coming from who I am and what I am doing, or is it coming from who I am in God and for what God has done for me. This is what it means to live and to understand the grace of God. And any time we allow any of those other things to take precedent, then we are being enslaved by them. And the good news, though, is that if we get our significance from God first, it then allows us to to be thankful and to use our money and and to be with our children and to worship and to lead the church, not out of obligation, but out of freedom. And that looks very different than how we oftentimes see ourselves looking at those things. We are known by God. First and foremost, because of who he is, not because of who we are. That's grace. Now, it would be easy, of course, for us to end right there, but because we've talked about grace so much, I thought I would also point out one other thing about this passage that I found to be somewhat significant. It comes to us in verse 12. It's this line, I hope you heard it, where Paul says, Friends, I beg you... Become as I am. It's not the first time that Paul says something like that. Paul says in, Cor- in Corinthians, he tells them to follow my example. In Thessalonians, he said that they know they should imitate him. In, in Philippians, he says that they should do everything that they have heard and seen Paul do. Paul is begging them, be like me, imitate me. And quite frankly, that's a little off-putting. In fact, commentary after commentary kept saying, kept kind of almost apologizing for Paul. Well, you know, I realize that sounds a little bit arrogant, but you've got to understand in this day and age, it's really, you know, this is why or that's why. And and they just kept going back and forth on why it's not nearly as bad as it may sound. But the reality, of course, is that it does make you cringe a little bit. I mean, think about this. If every Sunday, as I gave a charge and a blessing, I stood up here and I said to you, and remember... be like me. I mean, how many of you would come back the next week? No, no, seriously. How many of you would come back? Okay, good. We got one over there. All right, great. Okay. No, 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 no Mark. All right, fine. Um, right? I mean, that would be, you know, you all would say, no, I smell a rat here. Something's wrong. I mean, shouldn't good Christians, right? We should always say, you know, no, be like Jesus. Don't, don't be like me, right? And, of course, that makes sense, you know, and 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 we have to understand in context. And oftentimes Paul, you know, as he says in other places, you know, follow my example as I follow Jesus' example. And, and Paul is not kind of talking about this as some kind of detached despot, you know. He's, you know, he, he clearly loves them. He clearly cares about them. The very last verse of our passage, he uses this great imagery about how he looks at them kind of like a mother giving birth to a child, right? I mean, that's intimate. They, it's a willingness to suffer. So I get all that, but at the end of the day, he still tells them, be like me. The more I thought about that, I have to be honest with you, the less it began to bother me because the more I realized that perhaps it is at least that question that we should ask ourselves, which is, are we living the kind of life where we would be excited if someone began to imitate us? Think about this for just a moment. How did you come to know Jesus? There are a few of us who perhaps went to a hotel and opened up a drawer and you found the Gideon's Bible and you started reading it like that. There are a few of us who perhaps just happened into a church one day and said, well, I wonder what this place is. Let's try it out. But most of you, I have a feeling you learned about Jesus from somebody else. A mother or a father or a friend or a co-worker. But you learned about it from someone else and probably someone that you liked. Or that you you thought this person has something, right? Because if it's somebody you don't like, and if it's someone you don't want to imitate at all, then you are going to be put off by this person that they are following, not drawn to it or him. And so perhaps one of the reasons, it seems to me, I get why most of us would say, well, it's not very humble for us to say, be like me, but I have a feeling because I, I kind of believe in the fallenness of humanity. I have a feeling that a part of the reason why we are put off by that is because, quite frankly, we don't want that kind of responsibility. We don't want to tell people that because then that means we got to step up the game a little bit and that we have to reflect on ourselves and how we are actually living. One of the things that's very fascinating to me is how much money is pumped into how to grow a church. Right? There's lots of great books on it. There's uh, billboards that you can see. There's the websites, right? You know, we've got to figure out how to get the best website. You know, I think you know this. You probably know, right, the best way to help see more people come to Jesus and come to a church. Do you know what it is? Yeah, yeah, you're you're looking, you're, yeah, look in a mirror. It's a people who are living in such a way full of joy of the grace of Jesus Christ, that other people are compelled by their lives and want to know more about why it is that they are living like they are. I don't care what kind of sermon that I preach or Scott preaches or John preaches, it will have nowhere near as much of a challenge and shaping of people and drawing them to Jesus as will a group of people who are living lives that have been touched by the grace of Jesus. And so the question that I have for you all this morning and as you go throughout this week is to ask yourself that very difficult question. This is not to try to make you feel guilty. This is really just for you to kind of reflect on and ask, am I living the kind of life that people would be compelled or would long to imitate? Not because of the car I drive or the house I live in or the family to which I belong, but simply because of the way that you live, of the joy with which you live. Verse 15 could be translated this, like this. Why have you lost your joy? So my question for you all this morning is, have you lost that joy? And if so, is it because you've allowed something else to replace the grace? But if you allowed yourself to start living in that joy, do you think that people would begin to be drawn to you so that you can then draw them to Jesus? Are you living a life that people want to imitate? And if not, what might we do differently? What might you do differently? What might I do differently to live in such a way that people would long to know why you have the joy that you have? Sisters and brothers in Christ, I hope and pray that you will ask yourselves that question. Am I living the life people would want to imitate? Amen?